Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hey guys, welcome to the very first inaugural episode of the Tactical Yanks podcast. I'm Pete Douthit, your host, and I am really psyched to be sitting next to my co-host, Filippo Silva from Tactical Ministry TV, and welcome to the Tactical Yanks podcast. You probably know us from YouTube, Pete from 11 Yanks. Here we'll be talking about U.S. soccer, U.S. men's national team, and maybe, just maybe, some international soccer. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the Tactical Yanks podcast. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the second episode of the Tactical Yanks podcast. I'm Pete Douthit, your co-host, and I'm here with my co-host, Filippo Silva. You guys probably know us from Tactical Manager TV and 11 Yanks on YouTube. Filippo, how are you feeling today, man? Feeling good. Came back from a trip from San Antonio and helped my girlfriend move to Houston. Um, always fun when I'm in Texas and feeling pretty good and excited that we still haven't gotten canceled in episode two. <laughs> Hold your horses. This might be the one. No, oh, but that's good. Uh, so you were, your girlfriend was moving from Houston to San Antonio? Uh, yes, she moved from Houston to San Antonio. And actually, a couple things caught my attention because I've been traveling a lot around the United States uh, yeah. the past 12 months or so, right? We went to Kansas City, so a little bit of Missouri, a little bit of Kansas State, Charlotte, North Carolina. I've lived in California. I've lived in New York. I've been to Massachusetts. I live in Florida. I've uh, been a lot to Texas lately as well. And I even tweeted this out. One thing that I've noticed in this country is the United States does not have an issue with soccer when it comes to popularity. And the more mm. I travel, the more I notice this talking to people, seeing kids play in the park, soccer in Houston yeah. a lot. Yeah. So it's not a popularity issue that we have in this country in terms of soccer. It's more of incompetence from the Federation of capitalizing on it or making right. it relevant. And again, a league that can't really, a main league, right? A number one league that is MLS that is yeah. unable to, I guess, hold on to fans. I think that's the main struggle with MLS nowadays and yeah. create passion. So that's just something I've been noticing the more I travel throughout the United States. It's not really a popularity issue. And maybe maybe another episode we can cover what MLS needs to do to get soccer fans in America to watch and, you know, support MLS, right? That's a whole big topic. That's a very separate one. We don't have it on the agenda today, but I think it's worth, you know, covering maybe in episode three. Yeah, I think it's a it's anything that the any entertainment business because that's what soccer is essentially even podcasts even our podcasts or youtube yeah. channels uh, one thing is to get spikes in views or or fans 
one thing is to hold on to fans, have them really Consistent enjoy engagement. Yeah. Yeah. And I think MLS is very good in, in driving attention. People come in like Charlotte was able to put 70,000 people and then it dropped to less than half of that. So they, they can get that. The, the question is, are they able over time to actually keep this hype? Right. Because many leagues in the world are able to do so. And there are a lot of legacy MLS teams that are struggling to get attendance, you know, yes. and to maintain, you know, get full stadiums on a regular basis. But that's a separate topic. Um, I'm glad that you had a good time with your girlfriend, Mariana, right? That's her name? Yes, that's correct. In Texas. That's pretty dope. Uh, my week was, you know, uh, marred a little bit by this knee injury. I'll give you guys a quick update because people were asking. I went and saw a doctor this morning. Um, and he said, there's definitely some swelling and instability in the knee. He ordered an MRI. Now I've got to wait a couple of days for, um, my insurance to approve the MRI and how it is. It's a process, but hopefully this week I'll get an MRI and then we'll get a clearer picture of how much damage there is. If any, he's worried it could be a meniscus tear. Um, but that's sort of worst case scenario. He doesn't think there's any ACL or ligament. He said there might be a strain or a partial rupture, but if, if it was fully ruptured, he said, I think you'd be in a lot more pain and there would be a lot more bruising and swelling and knee instability. So fingers crossed. It's not too bad. <laughs> I know a thing or two about that. <laughs> yeah, you do. We could, you know, yeah, you know we could funny? go into that for a bit. Before we even start anything, the, the funny part was Pete, was I the first one you consulted? Um, yeah, outside of the people who were on the field with me, you were the first person I called. I was like, bro. Like, yeah, let me let me call this guy that has has had three knee surgeries. He might know something. But but yeah, hopefully it's nothing. Uh even if it's a meniscus tear for anyone listening to this, this is a far faster recovery than an ACL. Hopefully, no surgeries required. Sometimes meniscus, you don't even need surgery. It, it can be pain, but sometimes you don't even need it. Yeah. Hopefully it's nothing. That's well, the doctor else. said it, it could you could need surgery if it's a meniscus tear because he said it could become a chronic issue if you don't have surgery. But I also understand that doctors are very much, you know, <laughs> uh, they always incentivized, for it. No, incentivized no, you, to have yeah, surgery. Yeah, meniscus tears are not always surgical. Sometimes you can do physical therapy, but it depends. Sometimes it hurts a lot and then you don't have an option. That's what happened to me. It took yeah. me a year for the last surgery and I had a meniscus tear. Uh, I tried to postpone it, but then I couldn't deal with the pain at one point. I said, well, let's let's get it done. So, guys, despite many conflicting reports from different sports outlets, I will not be traveling with the USMNT to their uh, games. <laughs> another <laughs> injury. officially ruled out. Uh, no word yet on whether there will be a replacement for me. <laughs> a bit of a well, saga I mean, you're this irreplaceable morning, regardless. You're irreplaceable. Oh, um, thank you, man. We well, might just have to play Greg. We'll just play Greg with his tiny shorts. <laughs> and cool kicks. So, guys, this leads us into the topics for today's podcast. The first thing we're going to do, obviously, is the number one topic in American soccer right now. The roster that just dropped for the, um, you know, the last three games of qualifying. And not just the roster, but projecting a little bit into these games, what we would do, what we think is going to happen, how to approach it, etc. We're going to talk a little bit about the UEFA Champions League uh, results over the weekend in which some Americans shined, right? Oh, not the weekend, last week, uh, and also project a little into the quarterfinals. And then we are also going to address the other better Champions League, CONCACAF Champions League, in which American teams were not quite as um, successful as they were in the first round, would you say? Uh, the first leg, even right, first it leg. was looking good in the quarterfinals. Even the first leg, it looked we were better in the first round than the first leg of the quarterfinals. It looked like we were going to do very well, and it didn't quite go as we expected. It's not the worst, 
we still have no. a chance, but but I'm not as optimistic as I was last week, and I don't think you are either. Yeah, and we'll get into all of that. But should we kick off? I promised people on the live stream last week that if they put a positive review on uh, on Apple Podcasts, because I don't think Spotify lets you put like reviews. They'll let you give it a rating, but no reviews. That we would read one positive review a week on the podcast. So do you have something for us? Yeah, I can read one. I like this one because he also responded to an, a, a question we had in the previous podcast. So Good. he is actually a Portland Timbers fan. He makes it clear here in the statement. So he starts What's giving his name? us a phone. Uh, Lytro Bolo. Lytro, Lytro Bolo. Bolo. Great name. Yes. And, and he gave us a five star. So thank you very much for that. Uh, and he said, love that this finally happened. My fiance and I love listening to you guys. By the way, we are both part of the Timbers Army, and we are we were rooting for Club Leon to come back against the Flounders or the Sounders. But we were going for the other MLS squads. So there it is. One of the reviews, five stars. If you guys kindly could leave another five-star review, it really helps the podcast. But essentially, he was responding to a question we had last week. If every single fan base in MLS wants an MLS club to win, even if they're their rivals. And clearly, the Portland Timber fans, Timbers, do not want the Sounders to win. Yeah. One of my Patreon supporters, who's a Portland fan, also said the same thing to me. So... Confirmed. And honestly, I think that's a good thing in some ways, because although we all want American soccer to grow, the fact that the rivalries are big enough, you know, within these local rivalries that it takes precedence over your feeling about American soccer in general, I think that's a sign of a healthy rivalry and a healthy uh, fan base culture. No, I like it. I like it, too. All right. So let's get into the topics for today. And Filippo, we have <laughs> it's a nerve wracking week for everybody. This is pretty evident. We're both feeling it. Um, you know, four years since Cuba, right? Actually more than four years, four years and about five months because it was October. And it all comes down to this week now. We have a chance to qualify for Qatar. I want to reiterate that I firmly believe that we will qualify for Qatar. And I have lots of reasons for that. But just first tell me, you know, what's your general feeling on what's going on? I'm, I'm remaining cautiously optimistic. Um yeah, I also think we're going to qualify because I, I also think that if we don't, U.S. soccer is doomed. We need this momentum to qualify the World Cup, a great generation we have, the 2026 World Cup, all the hype going around, and actually having talent, right? I know a lot of our talent is injured. We're going to address that very soon. Some very important players are injured. Mm. But regardless, this is a good enough team to qualify with some comfort. And obviously, if Greg had done the right job many times throughout World Cup qualifying of the right rotation and, and letting go of some of his favorites, maybe we would have been in the same situation as Canada, which yeah. they could even lose all three games and still qualify. If we lose all three games, we're not qualifying. So, yeah, essentially what I'm trying to say is I'm optimistic, but at the same time worried. And probably the worry comes more from PTSD from Cuba rather than actually being worried because our situation is not alarming. We only depend upon ourselves and Costa Rica and Panama need nearly a perfect window to both surpass us. Yeah. You know, before we get into this window, can we just do a little review of what has happened so far? Why are we in the position that we are in? I think it's important to talk about that, right? Because sometimes I think we have a narrow minded. We remember the last game or the last window and that colors our opinion of how things have been going overall, right? So let's just start with the first window. We began 
with a nil-nil draw away to El Salvador, right? Um, the, that roster, from what I remember, didn't include a lot of crucial midfielders. There was no uh, Yunus Musa, right? No Luka. He was Denitore. injured, yeah. He was, he was coming back. He had two games for Valencia, but, he, but he, he was ready and fit to play because he was playing professional soccer. But for whatever reason, he wasn't included in the roster after not playing at all in the Nations League, if we remember. Uh, Luca De La Torre was not called up. Busio was not called up. It left us with a Darth of midfielders. But in that particular game, I thought we started well. Uh, my only issue with those games was Serginho Des was playing left back and Brendan Aronson was playing in central midfield with Gio Reyna on the right. I didn't love that I thought those three players were all out of position. And, and we didn't play particularly well, but I don't think it was a terrible result or performance. Is that, is that fair? No. Yeah, we were also lacking someone that could put the ball in the back of the net during yeah. that game, right? Which Pepe was in form at that time. He showed it at the end of the window. We're going to talk about that. But it seemed like that was mainly the issue. Uh, yeah. El Salvador wasn't much of a threat. I remember a, a shot from Alex Roldan in the first half that was somewhat yeah. close. Besides that, they didn't do much. Uh, personally, yeah, probably Brendan Aronson wide and Gio Reyna's the eight would have done a little bit of damage to El Salvador. But overall... That wasn't the problem in that window. The problem was the game you're about to mention. Yeah. And I think with the the one issue for me with El Salvador is when things weren't working, we didn't have a backup plan and we didn't have good subs because we had, you know, our, we struggled to create, which has been a sort of recurring theme, but we didn't have good subs that could come on and sort of try to break down that El Salvador block. But that's opening game. Okay. Lessons learned. We move on to Canada at home. And this is where it got iffy because... Sebastian Legette and Kellen Acosta started that game as dual eights. And I think when we all saw that, we went, uh-oh, that's not good, right? Um, well, uh, just to add to that, um, because he did leave out someone like Luca De La Torre already at that point, right? right? Um, and De La Torre was on preseason with his club and was ready to go, but Greg chose to not bring him into the roster. And when you look back well, he now, was long past preseason, they were, they played yeah. several games. He yeah. missed gold cup to be early in preseason. So, yeah. and he even said that he wanted to be ready for when world for cup world qualifying qualified. came up, uh, being in good form for his club. But, but then again, uh, that midfield did it all. And, and against Canada, to be quite frank, that was probably a game we actually deserved to lose, uh, rather than tie. Hang on. One of the midfield problems was Weston McKinney, right? This was his indiscretion in the hotel that he got sent home for that. And mm -hmm. that's why depth is important because if, you know, Weston McKinney and, you know, he's a young guy, we all agree he shouldn't have done it. It did hurt the team, but, you know, he's come back and learned from that. But we didn't have options. When Weston McKinney's out and Gio Reyna was out injured too. So now who were our midfield options? We didn't have Musa. We didn't have De La Torre. There was no Busio. So we went with Leggett and Acosta. And we created almost nothing that entire game, right? Well, and Pete, and if you look at the bench we had, the players we had on the bench to come to the midfield were Christian Roldan. So it's not going to improve much. James Sands, much more defensive and also struggled in that window. And, and we didn't have any other midfielder. Right. Right. Yeah. So, Josh Sargent was out of form. That didn't help. PFOC mm -hmm. was not playing well. That didn't help. Pulisic was back. He was playing. Right. He was back from COVID at the time. Back from COVID. So he was just coming back. Um, Serginho Des goes off injured early in that game. Mm -hmm. Right. And then we bring on DeAndre Yedlin. Now, 
we scored our goal through a, a Anthony Robinson, Christian Pulisic, Brendan Aronson combination. If what if I remember correctly, is that right? Yes, it was. Yeah. And then they equalized in the second half. DeAndre Yedling gets beat on the right-hand side, and John Brooks completely loses his man for them to score. We didn't make any subs until the 83rd minute, if you remember correctly. And when Greg was later questioned about that, he said, I thought everybody was playing well. <sighs> yeah, I did the, only sub, well. the only sub he made earlier was the one you mentioned of Des getting injured. Right. The the, only... There was no tactical subs. Yeah, and... Um, and... And as I said, we weren't really playing well in the game at right. all. No, we were not. So I, I was surprised to hear Greg say that the reason he didn't make any subs, he said this in a, in a Bobby Warshaw podcast later, I believe, that he thought everyone was playing well and doing what they were supposed to do, which was very surprising because we were very able to create very, very little in their final third, if anything. But, but we have seen some inconsistent arguments from Greg post-match of someone that sometimes it seems like he's not reading the game properly. Like the both Canada games, I guess we can mention yeah. as examples for that. Yeah. We just talked about this one, and when we get to the the next one, the two zero that we lost, and him coming out saying he's never seen such a dominant performance. Um, I mean, that, that yeah. and and there's been other examples for sure, which we'll get into. So that game ends one one. We've already dropped four points. Fans are pissed. We're unhappy. This is not the start that we wanted. We go down to Honduras. Greg pushes out a 3-4-2-1 formation, right, with Aronson and Pulisic, I believe, behind Sargent. Uh, James Sands and Kellen Acosta together as uh, in a double pivot with uh, back three, I, I believe. So, Pete, one correction. It was actually Pulisic and Sargent behind Pepe. Pepe That's started. what it was. I'm sorry. That's yeah. right. Pulisic and Sargent behind Pepe. The back three was Brooks. McKenzie and Robinson and Tyler Adams was a right wing back. That's right. Tyler Adams and George Bellow were the wing backs. That was just bizarre. Uh, after 45 minutes, it's one nil down. Another mistake from John Brooks. That's two in a row for him. He steps up to cover a loop. So first what happens is Kellen Acosta and James Sands get split with a through ball. John Brooks steps up to challenge to cover the space, but A, misses the tackle, and then B, does not recover very well. And to make it worse, George Bellow doesn't tuck in to cover him. So it's a series yeah. of mistakes there, but John Brooks definitely culpable. I think I think Brooks gets highlighted highlighted in the play because he's the one that steps up and gets beat and then doesn't transition back. So yes, of course it's a mistake from Brooks, but I think many often don't see the tactical issue that we've been having the entire first half there with Honduras with James Sands and, and Kellen Costa in the midfield. That happened a lot. That just yeah. happened to be the goal. Right. But to be fair. If you step up, you have to win the ball. And if you don't win the ball, you'd better retreat quickly. Well, right? it's it's his it's his mistake. But yeah. the problem was it happened many times throughout the first half. So yeah. it was bound to eventually someone be the scapegoat of that tactical mistake Greg Berhalter put there. But yes, yeah. John Brooks, with all of his experience too, most certainly should have been a little bit smarter in that play and and read it a little bit better. So Agreed. there's no there's no innocent innocence from Brooks right there. No, no. Um in the second half, Greg does make some subs, right? And, and it was clearly not working. He reverts back to his 4-3-3. From what I remember, he brings on Sebastian Legette, Anthony Robinson, and who is the third one? Do you remember? Um, Legette came in for Brooks. That was the tactical change. Brendan for yeah. Sargent. And, oh, he put, yeah, that was it. It was three. Robinson came in for Bello, and Robinson yeah. even scored. Aronson came in for Sargent. Yes. Yeah, so we went back to a 4-3-3. And immediately, we have an impact, right? 
cross comes in from the right. I believe it was actually Legette's cross. It was knotted out. And Anthony Robinson does a beautiful sort of curled half volley into the corner to make it 1-1. And then after that, Honduras just fell apart, right? Pebby mm-hmm. scores the second goal with his head. Is that correct? I don't remember if it was with his head, but yeah, he scored the second it was. goal. It was with his head. That was the second goal. Uh, and then I believe the third goal was on a breakaway. Pepe Brendan. sets up Aronson to finish. And then the final goal was a tap-in from Legette. I will say this. That was Legette's the one performance from Legette, that second half where I thought he was pretty good in World Cup qualifying. You know, he had a, a massive impact. He had a goal. He had uh, not an assist, but he was involved very much in, um, in the first goal that we scored. He played higher up the field too, remember? Yeah, he was active and involved. I think he actually set up the cross that Yedlin put in. That It was Yedlin who crossed it in. I think eventually he came on too uh, for Pepe to score. Maybe I'm wrong about that, but that's what my memory is. It was mm-hmm. a good game from Sebastian Legette and a good comeback. But we have to also mention that, you know, Honduras fell apart. They, they, they like set up tactics to attack us more when they were being battered and it left wide open spaces. And that played into our hands, but we did the, the, the right thing. We got a comeback win. So we got five points in that first window. It wasn't a terrible embarrassment, right? Second window comes along and we have, we open against, I believe, Jamaica, right? That was the first game. We win 2-0 with a peppy brace. I thought it was mostly a good performance from everybody there. Uh, the one person who I thought didn't play particularly well was Paul Ariola. He started that game on the right wing mm-hmm. instead of Tim Weah, who hadn't started any games at all in world cup qualifying. I don't think he was even in the first roster because he was injured. No, I think he was injured in the first roster. The second roster, he didn't start that game against Jamaica, obviously, but yes, Greg took a while to give way uh, more chances. Yeah. But that was a good game. We dominated possession, uh, especially in the second half. It was a very fluid technical game. We win two nil. I don't have a ton of complaints about that game. I don't know if you remember any. I, I, the midfield was very good, right? It was the first time we saw the MMA, MMA. midfield actually perform well. And, and again, we got to remember too, Jamaica was just a mess at that time, right? They yeah. had, they still were under um, top of Whitmore, which yeah, was by right. far the worst coach in CONCACAF. Mikel Antonio wasn't there. Leon Bailey wasn't there. Um, who else? They were missing more players. The I English think, players were missing because of COVID, right? Yes. Ravel Morrison wasn't there. So it, look, um, it was 2-0, and it was actually a dominant performance for the United it States. Was. It was. It could have been more, but this was a very weak Jamaican side, and we played at home. Yeah, very weak, but but we did the job. It's hard to complain when you dominate possession and you score the goals needed to win. Then we go down to Panama, and oh my God, when we saw that starting lineup, I'm going to call myself out. When I put that, when I tweeted out that starting lineup, I said this should be enough to get the job done. I think that was naive. I was trying to be positive. I was trying to be optimistic, but I should have said what I really felt inside, which was this is a very dangerous lineup because I don't think it's going to create. Should we just go over that lineup real quick? Yeah, I, I yeah, I think a lot of it. what happens with these lineups when we see them too is we try to be as optimistic as possible because right. there's a lot of stupid people out there that all they can do is call us negative and, te- and, and toxic. Right. So sometimes we try to say that to give the benefit of the doubt. Sure. But looking back at this lineup, and you want me to read it for you, or you got yeah, it? Yeah, let's just hear the lineup. Matt Turner on goal. That's not the issue. And then you got Shaq Moore at the right back position. At the time, Shaq Moore wasn't even playing many minutes in La Liga two. Okay, yeah. and Shaq Moore was there. 
McKenzie and Zimmerman were the two center backs. And again, McKenzie has, I, I can't remember the last time McKenzie put a good performance for the United States. Uh, George Bella was the left back. The midfield was Cal Nacosta, Eunice Musa, and Sebastian Leggett. So Acosta, Acosta was, the was at the six. Yes. Okay. Uh, the front three were Tim Weah on the left wing, Jassy Zardes as the center forward, which, by the way, he scored the goal for Panama, and Paul Riola as the right winger. So Weah gets his first start. Yes. Um, Musa plays with Leggett in the attack. It's not, I don't want to say it's a terrible lineup, but so many of those guys are guys that you and I had been highlighting for a long time that, you know, probably weren't good enough for the U.S. anymore. Guys like Sebastian Leggett, Paul Ariola, and Jassy Zardes more specifically, right? But to be fair, nobody had a good game. Not Tim Weah, not Yunus Musa. They did not have good games. It was a very poor game across the board. Uh, I thought it was the worst performance was Sebastian Legette. So many times when we had a chance to advance the ball or to break away, Sebastian Legette would turn and pass it backwards. And I think that was really the game where he earned the nickname back pass Legette or Le back pass or whatever. Yeah, he earned it way before that. <laughs> he earned it in Gold Cup. I remember in Gold Cup being very frustrated with him, but I think it became more mainstream in that game because it was so, so ridiculously frustrating to watch. But but Pete, just look at this. Look at it this way. I know we said this is a lineup that could beat them, right? Sure. But you look at the United States' lineup. Shaq Moore would not start for Panama. Zardes would not start for Panama. Ariola would not start for that Panamanian side. Legette would not start for that Panamanian side. So when you look at it on paper, it's not actually that unbalanced. And then you add the fact that Panama's playing at home. Yeah. It's just that some people overhype Greg's favorites, right? right. And it, it was actually bound to fail. You add to that as well the fact that you make so many changes to your team, you kind of ruin chemistry, right? I think it was seven changes from the lineup seven in the previous changes, game. Yeah. And again, we are not idiots. We understand that rotations are needed on these three-game windows. It's about how you rotate, and good managers right. know how to rotate. John right. Herdman has known how to rotate. John Herdman pulled the nine-point window rotating. He has yeah. rested Jonathan David, Alfonso. He has done that. Yeah. He has done that. Greg doesn't seem like he had got the hang of that at that window specifically. Also, if you had, like, remember, Matthew Hoppy and Luca De La Torre were both in that roster, right? If you mm -hmm. wanted to rotate, De La Torre could have started next to Musa in that attack. I promise you that would have given us more oomph in the attack, more penetration, more incisiveness, more technical ability, right? You could have started Matthew Hoppy opposite Tim Weah on the other side, and I believe that he would have been way more dangerous than Paul Ariola, as we saw in the Gold Cup. Right. So was Jesus Ferreira there as well? I don't believe he was. No, no, he wasn't. But but even like right back too. not that Shaq Moore was the main issue, but just if you're going to rotate, play Yedlin. Yeah. Right. Chris yeah. Richards over McKenzie. Yeah. Um, I don't know. And I mean, Zardes, the issue of Zardes is he shouldn't even been there in the first place. Right. 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 So there was like players like Peafock or Sargent, regardless of Sargent's struggles, he's still a better option. So I it comes down also to some mistakes in the roster selection as well. Yes. Yeah. We were Daryl DK was not called up. Yes. For that. And remember, and we he said, was, I think he was scoring for Orlando at that time too. Yeah. He was playing well for Orlando. He should have been an option. Um, so we lose that game one nil with a Jossie Zardes own goal. We didn't have a single shot in the, in the first half, not one, not whether it's not like on target. And then in the second half, Greg does make a substitution. He brings on Tyler Adams, right? But he brings him on for Eunice Musa and pushes Kellen Acosta 
back up into that dual eight role with Sebastian Legett. And we are surprised this didn't work. Why? Uh, I don't know. I thought we got the sample ready against Canada. Right. It didn't work last time. So let's try it again when we desperately need uh, some points here. That didn't work. Christian Roldan was eventually brought on. At no point were Matthew Hoppy or Luca De La Torre brought onto the field uh, during that game, despite the fact that we did not improve at all in the second half. You know, if anything, we got worse. Uh, and it was just the worst performance in living memory. I think a worse performance than Cuba. At least in MP, Cuba, we scored. MP, let's remember one thing, too. We're four points ahead of Panama. If we had simply tied that game, which is right. not something too crazy, right? No. We put an awful lineup, and it was 1-0, own goal scored by Zardes. If we simply tied that game, you take away two points from Panama, so we get a six-point gap with Panama, and you add one point to us. Seven So points. we would have been seven points from Panama and six points from Costa Rica. We would pretty much right now be one win from Qatar, regardless of any other results. One win. Yeah. And that is if they get nine points. So yeah. we would technically be almost guaranteed a spot in the World Cup at this point. Sad, sad, sad stuff, man. This is why this stuff matters. The reason we're going over this, guys, I know this is a little drawn out. But when we look at what's going to happen and what we're doing, it's important to we're basing this off of data that has happened in the past. We're looking at what's happened and trying to predict what we think is going to happen. Right. So terrible game. Greg gets a little bit snippy in the press conference. From what I've heard, there was some rumblings in the dressing room after that game, some unhappy players. Um, you know, the next game, we come back to Costa Rica and we, we have what I thought was a very good lineup. Right. We had Richards paired with uh, Miles Robinson at the back. We had Yedlin. Was it Yedlin or was it Dest? It was Serginho. It was Serginho. Dest and Robinson. Dest. Midfield was the MMA midfield again. And then we had Wea, Pepe, and was it Pulisic up top or was it Aronson? Pulisic No, injured, Pulisic was injured, I think. Wait, Pulisic yeah, was injured Pulisic at the time. Injured. So he wasn't in this camp. He That's wasn't right. in this camp. That's right. Uh, it was Brendan, Pepe, and Wea. Brendan Pepe and Wea, great now, performance, for that very game dominant. That you're talking about, yeah, very dominant performance. Sorry, sorry. very I good. We say... passed the ball. Sorry, go ahead. No, no, I was just gonna say this. The one thing to add, and then you can go on. This performance was we allowed a goal super early. It's the way the team behaved after that goal that impressed me the most. But go ahead. Yeah, no, exactly, exactly that. We conceded the early goal. Bit of a mix up in the defense. And, you know, defensive transitions is is where we've been really weak this whole cycle. When we have the ball and we lose it, we're very poor to get back into position. We're very poor to delay. We're very poor in um, retreating and covering our asses. And we can see the early goal, but the team responds with a very dominant first half, right? And we score. Uh, I believe it was, was it Pepe again who scored? No, it wasn't Pepe. It, it was, was Dest, a golazo from Dest. Dest beautiful, that's right. Beautiful golazo from Dest. Uh, makes it 1-1 at halftime. And in the second half, we're even more dominant. And we then get the goal from, is an own goal from their keeper forced by Tim Weah. Tim mm -hmm. Weah makes the hard vertical run behind the back lines, fed by Serginho Dest. He fires that goal. It hits the post, hits off the keeper, and in we get the three points. So six points out of that window. Um, still some points lost. That was where Luca De La Torre got 12 minutes in that game. I remember it very clearly. And he created two chances, uh, one for Zardes, uh, his fellow substitute, who he muffed it, and a really good through ball through a lot of players for, I believe, no, Tim. No, De La Torre played against Jamaica, Pete. Oh, was that Jamaica? I'm sorry. Yeah. My bad. Then I misremembered it. 
he played that all happened against Jamaica, but this yeah. Costa Rica game, De La Torre did not feature. Right. But we got two. So six points out of nine, that's probably our best window so far. I guess we got six points this last in January as well. So, you know, the same as the Latin six points has been our best window. Going into the final window we have of the year, we have Mexico and Jamaica. And the Mexico game, for me, was the most dominant performance I remember us having since Berhalter took over. Is that fair mm-hmm. to say? Uh, especially against a tough opponent, right? Yeah. yeah. He got the tactics right. He got the lineup right. We, Despite the early opening 20 minutes where, again, we were still pretty vulnerable on the counterattack, you know, Stefan had to make a really good save on Chucky Lozano. We had another, I think they had another one or two chances they could have done better with. But after the first 20 minutes, we choked them out of that game. They tired. We pressed relentlessly. We didn't create a whole lot, to be fair. But we created enough to to push them back. We had the ball. We were pushing them back. It was very dominant. And then super sub Pulisic comes on and scores off of a way across. Right. I, I think also Greg was pretty good with the subs that game, right? He yeah. timed in Pulisic when he could. We knew Pulisic wasn't 100%, so he timed it perfectly. Uh, that worked. I remember he later on subbed off the the subs he made later of Jesus Ferreira, um, Eunice Musa for Acosta. They were fine in the final like five to ten minutes. I, I thought that was probably Greg Berhalter's best game as the U.S. Men's National Team I manager. Agree. I agree. I think uh, it's a rare game where pretty much he was impeccable. Right, the lineup was yeah. the right one. The subs were right. Um, obviously things could have gone wrong. Like you said, if maybe Chucky Lozano had converted that chance, Yeah. but regardless, it still wouldn't have changed that Greg did his part. Right. Absolutely. And we praised him effusively in the post game stream after that game. And you know, when he does well, we have no problem giving Greg his due and crediting him for getting, you know, most of the things, right. This was different than the other two wins over Mexico, right? It was different. Gold cup was very back and forth. It could have gone either way. Uh, Gold Cup, he limited himself to, you know, certain players. So it was probably about as good as he could have gotten. And in, you know, Nations League, we were actually outplayed by Mexico. We really sneaked that one through. Um, But this one was, I want to say all Greg, because of course the players played their part, but it was a Greg masterclass and he deserves credit for it. Weston McKenney scoring the late goal off of some terrible Mexican defending. We have to highlight that, right? Their fullbacks were awful. Chaka Rodriguez and Jesus Gallardo were terrible. Kota literally let Pulisic walk into the six-yard box and score a free header. That was some of the worst defending I'd ever seen, honestly. And Tim Weah was making Gallardo look like a complete idiot on the field. So we get that win, and then we go down to Jamaica. But we've got some problems now because Weston McKenney gets a second yellow, so he's out again. Um, and Yunus Musa, who did start, had strep throat. We didn't find this out until later in the game, but he had strep throat. And again, the midfield options were lacking. We didn't bring Luca De La Torre, right? And who I thought could have offered something to that midfield, but he wasn't there. We also didn't bring Daryl DK or Jordan Pifok or Josh Sargent. We were relying very heavily on Ricardo Pepe, which I was fine with. But I thought if you need a goal in a very physical place like Jamaica, you should have had a backup option who offers you something different, an aerial threat. And that's where I think Pifok or DK, you know, could have been useful. Now, guys, it sounds like hindsight. It sounds like we have the benefit of hindsight right now, but Filippo and I actually said these things in the moment. We were like, why is this not happening? And this is why when we question, we don't just question lineups, we question rosters. 
because it matters, especially in a three-game window. Your depth absolutely matters. And unfortunately, I don't think we brought enough quality depth that could offer us something different in that window. And we ended up scoring with a great goal, early goal by Tim Weah. But then Jamaica got back into the game, and Antonio scores a belter from 40 yards out. We actually get lucky in that game because Jamaica scores a very legitimate goal, you know, on Walker a corner, rising over Walker Zimmerman and heading home. But for some reason, the referee disallows it. I've seen that goal about seven times. I don't understand why he disallowed it. I'm grateful he did. <laughs> I'm very grateful he did, or we'd be in a way worse spot. Can you imagine being two points back now? Than where we I, were. One point, one point. But but one thing that caught my attention at that no, time was No, we would be two was... points back because if we didn't win. Oh, no, we drew. I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah we drew. One point back. So one thing that was funny was I was watching uh, MLS analysts talking about the game post-match, just listening while I was working. I don't know why I was doing that to myself, but <laughs> but, but I, I, their whole argument for it was, you know, we watch the play and we don't really see a foul. But Walker Zimmerman never loses an aerial ball. He never loses it. So there must have been a foul. I was like, that's the weirdest that's not thing how it works, heard. dude. First, I agree with you that Zimmerman does win most balls in the air. That is true. Sure. And, and if yeah. you look at stats, it'll be proven. But saying he never loses it and using that as your analysis when you're literally looking at the play and you can't point out what's happening there and you just say, yeah, there must have been something because Zimmerman never loses it. It's like That's denial. No, that's, Complete denial. Yes. So – and we would have lost that game, and it, and maybe even unfairly, some people would bash Zimmerman, even though he's been pretty reliable for us, and say, see, you can't trust MLS guys and all that. But if we did lose, yes, it would have been a mistake from Zimmerman because he did lose that ball, and he was ahead of the Jamaican player. So he should oh, yeah. have been. He was goal ball. side. He was fine. He was goal side. Yeah. His positioning was okay. He just didn't appear to jump properly or something. Like he didn't really commit to the to the header, and and he lost out. So we kept four points from a window where, frankly, we should have gotten six, right? We really should have. Once we beat Mexico, getting a draw in Jamaica, in my opinion, was not acceptable. Then we go into the January window, and, I, and we're almost done here. We beat El Salvador at home, 1-0, in a game where we create some chances, right? But not enough to really, I don't think. We had three or four chances. Ferreira arguably should have scored in the opening minutes. And this roster is chock-a-block full of MLS guys. I think there were 13 or 14 MLS guys who were still in preseason, including guys like Brooks Lennon over Joe Scally, which was a real shocker. Still no, still no John Brooks or, you know, Josh Sargent or Jordan Peefock. Josh Sargent actually scored a brace the day the roster was announced. So that mm -hmm. was kind of interesting timing for me. We were in Kansas City. <laughs> we were. We were in Kansas. We remember that. Um, it was not an inspiring performance. El Salvador, God bless Hugo Perez, man. He has got them playing above their level, right? Some of their talent is definitely playing above their level, and that showed. And then we go to Canada. You want to take Canada? I don't want to talk about it. <laughs> it was the most dominant performance in away performance history, according to Coach Greg Berhalter. Well, wow. the, the Canada game first, they score – the first 10 minutes or so with Kyle Larian, which was a very weird goal kick from Turner. So what happened was the entire defense was positioned to build out of the back. And then they just stay there and Turner just blasts it forward through the middle. I believe Jassy Zardes loses the header. And then Jonathan David and Kyle Larian just won to their way through our defense. Miles Robinson and Richards are caught off and, and they get the 1-0 lead. From there on, we don't really do much of anything besides a header from Weston McKinney that that yeah. Borjan saved 
And Canada had some dangerous moments, including the most dangerous opportunity of the game that I believe um, Turner made a double save with Laren on a one-on-one. Yeah. And Canada was just more dangerous. And, and Berhalter, I guess, thought he was more dominant because of possession, which doesn't mean Yeah, we did dominate possession. He's not wrong. So yeah, which is, which is irrelevant. Did, which is irrelevant towards the end. The score completely and, irrelevant. And, and then Canada got a goal towards, I believe it was the last minute actually of the game in transition, yeah. and 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 they they got the title of best team in Concacaf World Cup qualifying, which they really were the entire campaign, and they got a nine point window out of it, and they really did outplay us in my opinion and deserved the two zero win. Yeah. So, uh, and again, this shows a coach like John Herdman, which, look, on paper, and even anyone that can get the best out of the United States, Canada's worse than the United States on paper. We have better players, and we have more depth. Yeah. But they have a coach, and you see the players believe what he tells them. They yeah. have a game plan, and they execute it. While the United States, it, I mean, we either don't have a game plan, or we have a game plan that's so complicated that the players don't understand it and don't believe in it right yeah and yeah. we clearly saw it in that game um and when we were yeah. one nil down this was frustrating to me uh i believe it was adams got injured right in that game and we had to bring on Ke instead of bringing on an attacking midfielder we brought on kellen acosta when luca de la torre was sitting on the bench it's like we need a goal it was like this i think the 60th minute adams gets injured we should have brought on Luca De La Torre to try and break down that low block that they were having. This is like one of his specialties. So that was very frustrating. Brought on Paul Ariola. To be fair to Ariola, he had beautiful technique. He almost scored a great bicycle kick. Um, very unusual technique from, from Ariola. But then Ariola lets their left back literally stroll up the field with the ball at his feet. Doesn't challenge him. He exchanges a one-two pass, I believe, with... It was either Laren or David. Yeah, it exchanges a one-two, and then they score in the final minute. Now, the, the reason I bring that up is because Paul Ariola has gone 14, 15 competitive games for the U.S. now without a goal as an assist. And whenever anybody brings that up, the response is, yeah, but he's always defensively very solid. And that was really out of – which is true. Generally speaking, he does work very hard. And generally speaking, he is very defensive. In that moment, though, I didn't see that from him. So if you're going to be the guy – who doesn't contribute to production in the final third, even though you're a winger or a wide forward, whatever you want to call it, at the very least, you'd better be completely locked down defending and not have silly errors like that. Um, it was not a good game. Pulisic was not good in that game either. A lot of over-dribbling, right? A lot of hero ball from Christian Pulisic, who's been that way for most of qualifying, and it's been disheartening to see. Certainly the players have to carry some responsibility. But Greg's tactics, Greg's system... Um, Greg's poor use of substitutions, his inability to adapt when something is not working and change it up really cost us points. And then afterwards he had those comments about how dominant we were and tried to justify it. And I think that's really pissed off most of the fan base, but then we go to the just, Pete, just add one thing. It seems very often that Greg doesn't really own up to a lot of the mistakes or even failures of the players, right? You obviously you don't want to put players, but he could come out to the press and say, look, I wasn't good enough. The players weren't good enough. We all need to improve. And that is perfectly fine. That's not throwing anyone yeah. under the bus. But it seems like he never owns up to it. And it's just everything's perfect. And I mean, at this point, you just lose the fan base, the very little fan base he has, right? Because he already started with a lot of doubters. And the doubters, a lot of the time, regardless of the trophies, in terms of performance and what this team can achieve, yeah, they're being proven right. 
regardless of what happens. Um, but but again, going to the last game where we froze Honduras. Um, I see, ridiculous. The fact that U.S. soccer has not admitted that it was a mistake to play up there to me is is it's sort of systemic, right? With U.S. soccer, they can never admit they were wrong. All they had to do was release a statement next the next day saying that in consideration of the weather pattern and the possibility for extreme cold weather, which, by the way, violates their own rules of safety. Right In the U.S. soccer handbook, they have rules of safety and play. And one of the things they mention is acceptable temperatures in order to play. And so they violated their own rules, never admitted they were wrong, could have endangered. I mean, several of the Honduras players got frostbite from their own admission. We don't know if this was you know, a medical professional opinion, but clearly there were some serious issues with safety and just really small time mentality, really unnecessary to go play there. It was, it was nothing to do with travel. I, w- I want to just like refute that because there were so many places closer to Hamilton, Ontario that were 30 degrees warmer than that. So it was nothing to do with travel. That That's BS. They wanted to play in Minnesota because they thought it would be difficult for the Honduran players to adapt to the cold, but they didn't, you know, what they didn't realize is so were our players struggling to adapt to the cold. Reggie Cannon got real problems with his ears. Tim Weah was very unhappy and they both mentioned this on social media. Well, not just that, too. Even if it's uh, location-wise and travel time, would it really have impacted the team if they had an extra hour and a half flying down south a little bit more? Would that really be... They could have gone to Charlotte in the same time as it took them to get to Minnesota. So how far south do they need to go? So, and let's just say, for example, Florida. They would have had to travel maybe an extra hour and a half on the plane. Not even. Not Yeah, so... so How long did it take you to get from Orlando to Florida? I mean, to Charlotte. Um, it was quick. It was probably an hour, an hour and a half. It was okay. Very quick. So yeah, <sighs> but we did win that game. We did win the game. Three set piece goals. Luka Can we Del- say oh, that we ball. also sent Honduras players to the hospital? There was one player, the goalkeeper, had hypothermia. Yeah. yeah. So very dangerous, very reckless, and honestly, very arrogant from U.S. Soccer. But we did win that game and got six points. There were three set pieces. Luca De La Torre came on and was a revelation. Finally, what we'd been asking for for the longest time. Now, yes, it was Honduras. It was a terrible Honduras team, for sure. We're going to have to see how he does in this window. I don't think he's the savior, but he, I think, does offer us a lot, particularly when it comes to breaking down defenses. So this is where we're at, guys. The, the, the reason we went over all of this and took half an hour to do this is because I believe we're going to qualify for Qatar. But I think it's fair to say the reason of the position that we're in right now, the reason we're in it is largely because of Greg Berhalter. Would you agree? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And of Uh, course, the players, the players have to take responsibility for their performances on the field. And we don't want to absolve them of anything. But the fact that so many of our players perform better for their national for their clubs than they do for their national team speaks to a lot of different things. One of them, in my opinion, is the environment that they come into, the way they're being asked to play and whether or not it suits their strengths. Well, again, it's what we were talking about when we compared the United States to Canada. When you go to the Canada game, you see the players believing what Herdman told them. They know the game plan and they execute it regardless of that, of anything else. The United States, it's what we were talking about. There either is not a game plan or there is an overly complicated game plan that the players don't seem to believe. And then you create a series of problems and you don't maximize the potential of your team. Right. Uh, but but again, not also leaving the players blameless because no. regardless of Greg and as bad as he can be, 
Uh, we mentioned how Pulisic had some very bad performances playing hero mm -hmm. ball. There were mistakes from many different players. John Brooks that we talked McKinney. about too. McKenney, even Leggett. I know that Burhalter selected him, but I still think Leggett can perform better than he performed in certain games. Sure. Uh, Kelna Costa being more consistent too because he puts up these great performances like he did against Honduras, and then he's like terrible in other games. So yeah. there are players that need to look at themselves too because they've made mistakes. Yeah, even Jassi Zardes was a huge low point. I mean, apart from yeah. his ridiculous own goal, which I don't know why he got behind the ball there and headed it into his own net when he should have cleared it the other way. But up top, as a striker, for all the minutes he's gotten, he has zero goals and zero assists. Mm -hmm. So, But let's go look forward now. On Thursday, we play Mexico. What do you think is going to happen? Are we going to go 4-3-3? I think we're. I think he's going to stick to the four three three for now. I saw a lot okay. of people saying that maybe he would go three in the back. I don't think it's going to happen. I don't think James Sands is there even to get minutes. It would just be an emergency player. Yeah. So probably a four three three. Now who he will play, I don't know. We don't have Weston. We don't have no. Dest. We don't have Brendan Aronson. That has been confirmed today. Yeah. Uh, we're missing many guys. So I don't know. Also, Tyler Adams is on a yellow. So maybe yeah. he won't play against Mexico. He could be rested for that. PFOC is on a yellow, so depending on the other games and the game plan, maybe PFOC won't be playing this one. A lot of questions of who Greg will put out. I guess we'll find out on Thursday. I think if he plays 4-3-3, I don't know about Adams or Acosta, but I'm pretty sure Musa and De La Torre will start in midfield. There's no other way right now that anybody else can start. Some people are saying Gio Reyna. I know he got 90 minutes on the weekend, and that was good to see. But guys, I wouldn't risk 90 minutes for Gio Reyna just coming back from a six-month injury in the Azteca. I would have him as a super sub, but I would not start him in midfield or anywhere on the field, to be honest. I think I it's going to be— I would start him against Panama. Yeah, same, same. I would start him against Panama if he can put in at least 20 minutes against Mexico. But I think uh, Musa and De La Torre will start as a, in the double pivot. Um, unless he goes Acosta at the eight again, do you think he will? Put Adams at the six and put Acosta in the dual eight position? I do think Adams will be benched because of that yellow. I think, so. I, I think he's going to go for safety. He knows that the Panama game, winning that game, locks us in top four already, right? Yeah, and maybe regardless of what else happens. And technically, it's a game that it's easier to beat Panama in the United States than it is to beat Mexico in Azteca, considering we never beat Mexico in Azteca in World Cup qualifying. So yeah, you have that. So I, I do think Tyler will be benched. And if Tyler is benched, it's going to be Kellen Acosta as the six. Yeah, I think there is a chance he could go back three, though. I think the fact that he brought in so many center backs and James Sands, you know, he brought in so many center backs and a back three speaks to the possibility that we're going to see a back three at some point, and I think very likely it's going to be against Mexico. So we'll see what happens. We'll see. He did the back three Nations League. Um, we paid the yeah. Tim Ream tax of Diego Linus scoring. I almost was my my career was finished right there. If we lost <laughs> Linus, if we lose Linus, Linus scores the winning goal in Azteca. Oh my! What do I do? I, I have to leave Twitter and possibly block some people on YouTube. It's going to be rough for me. But but yeah, the Mexico game will be an interesting one. I personally talked about this. Many didn't agree. I would play a more defensive approach. I would go to this game with a more defensive approach and try to beat them in transition. That's what I would personally try to do. And I Same. think actually the eights you mentioned, De La Torre and Musa, in transition can be a heck of a team right there. Uh, yeah. Those players. And then you can put Tim Weah um, on the right wing. Now, without Brendan, I think we might have to play Pulisic. Um, I imagine so. It's either that or Morris or Ariola. 
Yeah, I don't like know. If you decide I, to bench Pulisic, then who's going to go on the wing? Or Gio? Is he going to start Gio? I would be very surprised if he starts Gio. I doubt he's going to. No, no. And also, yeah, I, I don't think – I think Pulisic might actually start and maybe get subbed off early for Morris or Ariola or even Giovanni Reina. So I, I would probably go with that, um, try but, to beat them in transition. But, Tack, this is also not the same Mexico that people are used to, right? This is a different Mexico team. We've seen that. They're, they're big players who've carried them for so long are aging – and their young players coming through are either not that young or not at the same level, right? And I think that's important to highlight when we talk about Mexico because we had this fear of Mexico in the past. Mexico, the Holy Grail was Mexico. It's not the same team anymore. I'd almost rather play Mexico than Canada right now. You know, I would be more confident going up away in, in Mexico than away in Canada. And maybe that's naive on my part. I don't know. But how much I think we can win. I think we can. We should, how we much... should expect to. But my question is, they lost three times to us, right, last year, and that's bugging them for sure. Sure, it is. It's also the how much, how yeah, you think that's going to play more into pressure to Mexico or motivation, especially at home, right? That Azteca crowd. It depends what happens. I think you said this on the phone to me earlier. If yeah. they score early, they're going to dominate that game. But the longer mm-hmm. Mexico goes on without scoring, the more the crowd is going to be whistling them, the more pressure they're going to feel. They're going to be thinking about the headlines in the Mexican media the next day. They know they're going to be ripped to shreds. And that can either make somebody play better and they can rise to the occasion, or it can make them choke. No, that that's why I would go with a more defensive approach. And when I say defensive approach, I don't mean going for the draw. I'm going for the win. I think right. the longer we hold Mexico to a 0-0 throughout the match, the higher the odds are of us scoring and not them. I think yes. they're going to get frustrated, worried. Also, remember, their experienced guys, Guardado and Hector Herrera, are out. Guardado's injured. Hector Herrera is suspended. They didn't bring Chaka Rodriguez. That's another experienced player. So these younger guys in the midfield, they're going to feel the pressure. And I think the longer we hold that 0-0, the more likely we are to maybe scrape a goal late in the game and get that 1-0 win. And I'll take it. A 1-0 yeah. win in Azteca, I'll Any absolutely win take it. Any exactly. win in Azteca is like great. And that really helps our case for, for qualifying. It gives us some breathing room if we beat Mexico, mm-hmm. right? So that's important. Um, I think that's it. Is there anything else we should cover with Mexico before we move on? I think we should move on. Let's go to the next game, the big one, Panama. At home, guys, this is a throw all your best players and win this game convincingly must-win game. By the way, I think Jesus Ferreira is going to start in Azteca. I don't think it's going to be Pepe, and I don't think it's going to be Pifak. I think he's going to start Ferreira. I think that Jordan Pifak will start at home, though, against Panama. I do. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think Gio Reyna will start. I don't think he'll start in midfield because Greg doesn't really see him that way right now. Um, so maybe he'll start Wea and and Reyna, put Reyna on the left, or maybe he'll start Pulisic and Reyna. But I think it's put your best players, your best team out there, attack them, hold the ball, make their lives very difficult for 90 minutes until you get a goal. That's what it has to be. Oh, yeah. And it can't be get a 1-0 lead and just try to control the game. Get a 1-0 lead, go for the 2, the 3, yeah. the 4. You can't, one take any risks. Dangerous. you can't take any Could you risks. imagine Panama gets a late goal and oh draws my it? God. it? It can't happen. The, the Panama game is you either get three points or you get three points. There's no other option no, right there. absolutely not. Um, and it would be an utter disgrace if we're not able to beat Panama at home. We've won what every other home game except Canada. Let's remember that. So what I hate about this, I, I, I don't believe in coincidences and things like that. At least I don't want to believe in destiny and things like that. But four years ago, we played also <laughs> Panama at the same exact stadium, Exploria Stadium in Orlando. Yeah. 
right before Cuba. Now, the situation at time was different because we were going to face Trinidad and they had nothing to fight for. If we face Costa Rica and Costa Rica has nothing to fight for, that means we're probably qualified if we beat yeah. Panama and Costa Rica. Has or at least we've for. hit top four. Exactly. No, because so if we little... beat Panama, we've qualified. Yeah, we qualified. So, um, yeah, if Costa Rica has nothing to play for and we beat Panama. And last time we beat Panama 4-0 here, Pulisic balled out. Josie Altidore had a, a brace. Yeah. That is what I want to see. Um, I'm not saying we're going to beat Panama 4-0. Uh, it's a good Panamanian side, and I think they will play probably very defensively, very compact, and try to yeah. counter us, and they can it's be dangerous. Be having to counter. break down that low block. That's going to be the, the, the job in Orlando. But I, I would also expect us to go for a, a good 2-0 win, controlling the game, not giving Panama much of an opportunity to score. Um, I think PFOC will be very important in that game because under Burhalter Ball, all we do is whip in crosses, and PFOC is very dangerous in those. He's been scoring for young boys that way. Low crosses, yeah. high crosses, he puts it in the back of the net. So it's a perfect game probably for PFOC because I think that's what we're going to do. We're going to whip in crosses. That's what's going to yeah. happen. And then we go to Costa Rica, and it's a little hard to predict this game because so much depends on what what's the situation going down to Costa Rica. But we should always go to, go for a win. We should never go play for a draw. Never take a game for granted. Remember, second space, second place in the Ocho is still up for grabs, right? Especially if we get a draw with Mexico and we beat Panama, second place will very likely still be up for grabs, and we should go for it. Because guys, even if we qualify in third place. Is that really, I mean, we did the job of qualifying. Are we really want to say that we're happy being like six points behind Canada? If I told you before this window started, we're going to finish six points behind Canada. Would you have said that's a good qualifying campaign? No, you wouldn't have. Right. And, and we should take that same mindset. Like again, changing the, the, the world's view of American soccer starts with changing us. It starts here. You know, Eric Winalda talks about this a lot. Changing our mindset and the way what we expect from the game and what we expect this team to be and the mentality that we take to these CONCACAF away games that everyone's like, oh my God, it's like going to hell. You can't win over there. You know, like even though Canada's proving that mentality wrong right now, right? So I say go for the win in Costa Rica. You know, sure, adjust depending on who's available and who's played a lot of minutes, but never go for any other reason than to win. Yeah, that game is going to depend on so many factors. It's whether Costa Rica is still alive or not. The The Costa Rican side also is old. And but depending this is on my how point. They... Whether or not they're still alive, we should still go for the win. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, we need it. So we need to create the winning culture, right? Yes. We need to create that winning culture. And the winning culture comes by being competitive in every single game and wanting to win everything. Even World Cup qualifying, the loser's mentality is saying, yeah. well, first and third is the same thing. You qualify yeah. the World Cup anyway. No, no, that's the loser's mentality. He's they right. Do that in Brazil? Are they happy with no, them qualifying? No, you in need fourth? to win it. You need to, I mean, yes, if at the end of the day you qualify in second and third, we'll take it in Brazil, right? Like, okay, we qualified. But there's heavy criticism because it's like, we have to be the best here. We're the best in the region. And we need to prove it, yeah. not by winning Gold Cup. We need to win, winning everything, Nations League, yes. Gold Cup, everything. Yes. you got to prove it. And the loser's mentality is to accept. It's like third place, that's okay. We qualify. No, no, no. Third place is the bare minimum. First that's place. Absolute bare minimum for competence. Bare minimum. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, it's, it's like anything in life, right? If you have a company or a job. You don't achieve anything. You don't become great at anything by doing the bare minimum every day. 
You have to do your best and try to be the best in that. Otherwise, you're just going to be mediocre or average, right? That, that's like anything. Apply to anything in life. That's the yes. truth. And we should remind ourselves in the 2006 cycle, the 2010 cycle, and the 2014 cycle, we finished first in the hex with a significantly worse player pool. So there are no... We're not going to finish first, let's be honest. We technically, mathematically still could, but it's very unlikely. But my point is that we we, we can't just set the bar at the bare minimum. And that's what we try to uh, to believe in and to speak about and to hopefully encourage other people to think that way too. I think we've done enough, man. We've done a whole hour on the national team. Should we move into our other two topics for the day? Yeah, and we're going to have to kind of skim through them, I guess. <laughs> well, no, I mean, I'm fine with this going on for another 20 minutes. Like, let's do a full hour 20, give yeah. people more content to listen to. Are you, are, do you have to go somewhere? No, I'm good to go. I'm okay. just, but yeah, so we're going to go through the UEFA Champions League because yes. we do follow it very closely and we don't get the opportunity to talk about it as much at our channels. Yes. And more specifically last week, right? Last yeah. week we had Atletico Madrid bringing down Manchester United. And wow. Um, to many, it was a surprise. But when but, it comes but Felipe, to... They have Chris Armas there. Yeah. And, and Chris Armas against Diego Simeone is not the best matchup. But regardless, uh, look, I, I'm a Manchester United fan. And I haven't been as passionate about him because I started to lose a little bit every single year after Sir Alex left and yeah, how management has dealt with it. Uh, but I still watch pretty much all of their games. I know how they play. I know all the players in that roster. And under Ole, they look bad. And under Ragnick, they look exactly like they were under Ole. It's not that much different, right? And... As much as we praise still Ronaldo for the hat trick he got against Tottenham, there's there's certain things in the game that's more than just stats and getting goals. And these things, Lionel Messi and Cristiano don't bring any more, right? It's the work rate off the ball, defensive work rate, all of that, tactically, the movement, they they just they're just not that anymore because of their age. Yeah. And Manchester United has several issues, and I'm not saying Ronaldo's one of the issues. He might be actually not even an issue in that team, but um honestly sorry go ahead no and just to finalize it it's um after they got knocked out the the united fans were very classy to throw bottles at diego Simeone. oh my god and i thought this was only concacaf but no it's not concacaf um uefa happens a lot we saw this at least three times this season with olympique marseille we saw this in a, a, a game in la liga that was an american involved as well and now we saw it with english fans in Manchester. Yeah. and there, there's more these are just the ones we follow yeah, they right? throw there's coins money. all the time at people when they're taking corners you know luis figo had a pig's head thrown at him when he was playing in El Clasico many years ago. So this isn't just a CONCACAF problem, guys. This is a problem in many parts of the world. But real quick, what do you think happened to Manchester United? Is it leadership? They, they've spent money. We know this. It's not for a lack of spending. They have spent yeah. lots and lots of money. What's so happened kind to of, Manchester United? It kind of trickles down from how their signings happen, right? When, when, when you have a club that spends over $70 million on a player like Harry Maguire, you raise an eyebrow. You're wait a second, seventy million. Yeah, it seems like we could have got two players better than that one, but he's English and there's more to it. All right, and then they go on and I mean Manchester United. When it comes to wingers, sure they they maybe they needed a winger, but then you spend a hundred million on Jaden Sancho, mm. and and then you see a team like Liverpool that is very precise on their signings, sign Luis Diaz 
which is twice the player Jaden Sancho is for 40, 50 million, half the price of Jaden Sancho. So it's poor talent identification and poor spending, you're saying? Well, yeah, they spend money. I, I believe they spent as much money as Manchester City has. But yeah. look at the signings they've made. And then you have a Paul Pogba that doesn't want to be there. Yeah. Um, Cristiano Ronaldo, far past his prime. Marcus Rashford, that to me is one of the most overrated players I've ever seen in my life. Uh, I don't get it. I just don't get it. They've hyped him so much. They talk about him. He is very limited. Marcus Rashford and I've been watching him ever since he started. He's the same exact player he was when he was 18 in Manchester. Yeah. He's the same exact player. And right now at age 24, 25, that's just not good enough. It looks good when you're 18 because you're projecting growth. Um so it's poor signings, poor management. I, I think the way Manchester United can fix it, and it's not really the Glazers leaving because the Glazers are the owners and they're pouring in money. Right. I don't think necessarily they're the problem. But if you put Ragnick in charge of this being the sporting director, let him work there and he can get maybe a Thomas Tuchel if Chelsea just folds and whatever happens to Chelsea, then they can fix. So maybe getting Ragnick as a sporting director and then signing a proper manager, that's where things can fix over the years. It won't be quick. There's a lot that has to change in this roster. It feels like from a bird's eye view, they don't have good leadership and they don't have good identity. They don't have somebody at the top of the club who understands the vision, who understands where they're trying to go and makes good decisions that take them closer to the vision of what they need to be. It's like Sir Alex was that. And when he left, nobody really took the reins and said, okay, this is what needs to happen. And here's how we're going to do it. And here's our five-year plan. And we're not going to stray from it just so there's a few bad results here and there. We're going to stick to the plan. We're going to buy players that we spend good amount of time scouting. We're not going to overpay but we'll, we'll spend money on value and if it fits our philosophy of how we want to play. So I think that's where Manchester United needs better leadership at the top. Yeah, it's everything, right? You go back to when Alex, Sir Alex left, they they just started recklessly spending money, right? Bring in Radamel Falcon, Garcia, bring in Di Maria, bring Even in Even Ronaldo Slatan felt later. like a last-minute panic signing. Paul Pogba, too. They, they overpaid for Pogba, too, at the time. Way and, and then you look at Manchester United now. Um, people complain about Ole Gunnar Solskjaer playing McFred midfield, Fred and McTominay. They're still yeah. playing McFred midfield, so the issue is still there. But, Pete, moving on to the other game that happened in the quarterfinals, this was the big disappointment. Benfica knocked out Ajax. Um, I didn't expect that. I didn't see it coming after Ajax completely ran through a lot of their opponents in the group stage, including Borussia Dortmund. But Benfica pulled a 1-0 win at Amsterdam and knocked out this very strong Ajax side. Yeah, I didn't watch that game personally, but it just came to a shock to me. Yeah. And another shock, Juventus lost 3-0 to Villarreal in Italy at their mm -hmm. own stadium. Was it because they lost that American midfielder we may have heard of? <laughs> So that one didn't shock me too much. Um, I'll tell you why. I did think Juve would have gone through possibly. Um, the 3-0 might have been too much. But Villarreal last season, man, um, under Emery in Europa League, they're a knockout, knockout stage group. They're a cup team, essentially, right? And we saw that uh, against Manchester United in the final. So it didn't surprise me that they put up the fight that many didn't expect them to. Yeah, 3-0 in Italy, a little bit too much. But... Them going through wasn't that big of a surprise. Them going through. No, going through Benfica was that of a surprise. Benfica was the big surprise to me. Sure. But to um, me, more was a surprise was how toothless Juventus looked. Completely toothless. Yeah. Um, as they're called, they're the, the old lady, old lady Juventus. The old lady um, of Turin, yeah. 
Uh, and then you have the game good. that interests all of us the most is mm-hmm. Christian Pulisic and Chelsea knocking Leo. They were already two nil up, so they had a you know they had a good uh, sort of lead from the first leg. But in the second leg, in the second leg, I'm sorry, uh, they won two one, and this was in France. Okay, this was away from home. They uh, Lille actually scored first, right? So it was two one on aggregate, and you can think, oh, this could get very nervy for Chelsea. But the American savior, Christian Pulisic, scores a really nice goal, and it's 1-1. And then yeah. they go on late. They start to dominate again. It sort of relaxes them. They calm down. They're not, they don't look so vulnerable. And then they're able to get another goal to seal it, and they go through. Who's playing who in the quarterfinals? Do we quickly run that down? Yes. So the quarterfinals, the first matchup is Benfica versus Liverpool. Personally, okay. I don't think Benfica will pull another upset here, Pete. Um, Klopp knows how to manage this. Um, I have Liverpool going through here. Uh, What about you? Yeah, Liverpool. Liverpool. Now, this is the tricky one. Manchester City versus Atletico Madrid. I still think Manchester City will go through. They're in very good form. I know they lost that game to Manchester United, but overall... Overall, they still look in very good form, and I think they're going to find a way to beat Atletico. So the more, the further we go into the Champions League, the higher the odds of Manchester City bottling it. And Diego <laughs> Simeone, he thrives. Uh, he thrives against better teams. Right? Yeah, That's he likes to frustrate. He, yes, um, I have Atletico pulling upset. Believe it or Ooh, not. Ooh, interesting. Maybe if Guardiola tries some crazy tactics, you know how he likes to do that. Mm-hmm. Like try something he's never tried before. Like to, he'll overthink the game. And then all of a sudden, you're like, what is going on? And then they end up losing. This is like the story of Guardiola in Champions League. I think Atletico will pull this through. Um, and it'll be another disappointment for Manchester City. Now, the other matchup is actually quite interesting one. I like this matchup. I still have Bayern going through Villarreal, despite the praise I gave Villarreal in terms of them being a cup team. Uh, but I, Bayern and Villarreal is one to watch out for. Great matchup. I have Bayern yeah. going through, though. Yeah. Um, I'm assuming you also have Bayern for this. Most yeah, people yeah. will. Bayern, Bayern, um, and then Chelsea, Chelsea and Real Madrid. Chelsea, that's and Real the one, Madrid. man. That's Christian Pulisic is the Real Madrid slayer twice in the semifinals last season. Remember, a mm-hmm. goal in, in I think the first leg, and then an assist in the second leg. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, so this one, there's no upset on this one. Whoever goes no. through, this is a balanced matchup. I, I think Real Madrid will be the one advancing this time instead of Chelsea. I disagree. They were looked mm. terrible against Barcelona. Just they did. shambolic. It was a, an atypical game. I actually follow Real Madrid, not as close as United and the, the Americans abroad, but it's the team in Spain that I watch the most, even more than Barcelona with Dest. That was just an atypical game. Um, I, I actually think that. Real Madrid will pull it through. Experienced wow. midfield, Modric, Casemiro there. Vinicius and Benzema have been lighting up defenses this season, and they most certainly will give Chelsea a lot of trouble. I do think Real Madrid will pull it. It's kind of weird, right? I have both Madrid teams advancing. It almost seems like I have a, a Madrid agenda going on here. <laughs> Toxic Madrid agenda confirmed. <laughs> I'm not Spanish and I'm not getting paid by Florentino Perez. Okay. I just well, want to we don't, we don't know that for sure, guys. I just want to bring the other side of this coin. I yeah, think that can't... Christian Pulisic, fresh from crushing Panamanian dreams and helping the U.S. qualify for the World Cup, will be on fire and ready to repeat. Christian Pulisic is a big game player, right? Look at the teams that he's really performed well against over the years. 
Manchester City, Arsenal, uh, Liverpool, Mexico. Real Madrid, Mexico, the semi-big team, Atletico Madrid, <laughs> Leo. No, in no, Champions no, wait, wait, wait. Former big team. Former big team, now our little brother. Although they're technically ahead of us. In, oh, no, they're behind us in the standings. We have the same amount of yeah. points. But yeah, Christian Pulisic shows up when the stakes are highest, right? That's what we've learned about Christian Pulisic. The harder the team, the more Christian Pulisic comes to life. And I think there's a, one of the reasons for that is that Pulisic thrives in space. He thrives in transitions. When teams are bunkering low, he struggles to break them down because he can't use it as electric pace to beat people, right? But when it's a big team, that big team, it's usually sort of an ebb and flow. There's a back and forth. And so those teams leave a little more space for him in which to work. So I don't just think it's this esoteric thing of like Christian Pulisic's a big game player. It's that those games suit his skill set. And that's why he's so successful against them. That's my opinion. Yeah, it, it could be true. And again, we see him struggle a little bit against Middlesbrough and then light up Real Madrid. And you're like, what just happened here? <laughs> right, right. Exactly my point. Yeah. So that's so, the Champions League. Move on. Do you have any more the... thoughts on the Champions League or should we move on to no. CCL? We'll be covering it, obviously, as the games happen, but that's For all sure. we can talk about now. Now we're going to go to the real Champions League. So take it over from here. CONCACAF Champions League. Last week, we had a whole segment talking about how well the teams were doing or how it was looking bright, you know, for, for MLS teams. Both Seattle and New England were carrying 3-0 wins into their away games, correct? Um, yes. You know, New York City FC was carrying a pretty significant lead, a 3-1 win over, how do you pronounce the name of that team? Comunicaciones. Comunicaciones, thank you. Comunicaciones. Comunicaciones, comunicaciones. And they almost bottled it, New York City, right? Comunicaciones comes to New York, right? It was in New York? Or was this away? No, I'm sorry. Uh, this, this was, was in Guatemala. The, Guatemala they won 3-1 yeah. in, in the United States, and the 4-2 yes. was in Guatemala, and then New York advanced on away goals. Away goals. I'm sorry, but that's pathetic. You know, I put on Twitter after the uh, New England game that New York, Montreal, and New England were all showing us how far MLS still had to go. And some people were like, oh, well, we won. Don't put us in the same category. I'm sorry. That's a Guatemalan team that you well, bottled it against them. I'm sorry. You got to add one thing, too. They had the lead in the game twice. So you get the 1-0 yeah. lead and you have that 3-1 lead. You control the game and you kill yes. it off. Rather than do that, they allowed their team to come back into this game. Uh, and they almost were knocked out by a Guatemalan side, which the budget is probably like a, a small percentage of what New York small City fraction, FC has. Yeah, yeah no, so terrible performance, in my opinion, even though they got through. It's it's honestly, I know they went through, but it's as embarrassing as New England, right? New yeah. England uh, went to PKs, and sure, New England could have gone through on PKs if Legette didn't kick a field goal, but the the matter of the fact is if they gone through in the pk's it still would have been kind of embarrassing you have a 3-0 lead and you allow them to come back just control the game come with a game well, plan here's the thing. but before the game bruce arena said someone asked him about how they're planning to score goals and he goes oh we don't need to score goals but they do like that to me is just the most arrogant and they obnoxious did. thing that you can say and i'm sure the mexican coach played those comments for their players and said Listen to this guy. This is the same arrogant Bruce Arena that lost us in Cuba. The same guy was like, we're just going to go over there and wipe the floor with them. That's who we are. I'm, I'm just, 
it's so baffling, not only those comments, but the way the team played so scared. They played so hesitant. They couldn't string passes together. It's like they showed up with the wrong mentality. Well, yeah, Bruce Arena probably gave them a pep talk saying, hey, guys, we don't need to score goals today, okay? And they're <sighs> like, okay, Bruce, we just won't score goals today. But and then they, they still couldn't protect the 3-0 lead. At least if you don't score goals, lock down defensively. Omar Gonzalez, man, why is he still playing professional soccer? Well, it looks like th this New England, it almost seems like they're trying to put the Kuva all-star team back together, right? Le well, Leggett wasn't there, but he was wasn't in that there, cycle. but he was in that campaign. Uh, Josie, Bruce Arena, Omar Gonzalez. Who else are they going to sign next? Who are they going to bring next? there, right? Yeah, Leggett's there. He was in the cycle. Um, they should have tried to bring, um, well, Acosta's on the bench. Yedlin. Um, Yedlin. They, yeah, Yedlin. They, they, they. Unfortunately, uh, he went to underperforming Miami. But that was really, really embarrassing to go lose 3-0 in Mexico. Really, really shambolic. And then they go to penalties, and Sebastian Leggett skies his to send, <sighs> to send yet another Mexican team into the semifinal. Montreal actually played okay. They lost 1-0 in Mexico, and they got a 1-1 draw at home. Is that right? Uh, yeah, they, they tied 1-1 at home. It wasn't a terrible performance, but they still got knocked out, right? That's unfortunate. Um, but at least with a performance like that, you can point to they competed with them, right? You can't say that for New England. New England did not compete. New York City barely competed. Our only bright light, really, was Seattle, who managed to go down to Mexico, protecting a 3-0 lead, and get a draw, a nice 1-1 mm -hmm. draw, right? Scored early on the penalty and then conceded late, but well done to Seattle. So now Seattle will face New, uh, New York City in the semifinal, which means we're guaranteed one American team in the final. Only one. Yeah, so Sounders and New York City will face each other April 6th at apparently 10 p.m., but the time can change. And Pumas and Cruz Azul face each other April 5th. That's the first leg. The second leg ends April 13th. So it's already coming up right after World Cup qualifying, the semifinals. Oof. Let's see how they do. That'll be very interesting. But what do you think is the overall problem with MLS teams and the failure to win CCL, but not just the failure to win CCL, the failure to take advantage of promising positions in CCL, right? The failure to adapt to that environment when they go down and play in Mexico. Well, it's mentality, right? You talked about how Bruce Arena's comments, that, that's the mentality they approach these games in. And because you live in a league where there's not much at, in stakes, right, at stakes, uh, MLS, it, it seems like the players get complacent at times. While yeah. Mexican teams, because of how it is, the culture there and how much the fans demand and the media, uh, they don't get complacent. They always believe they can get the result. They always go after the result. While MLS teams kind of like, all right, we lost, we move right that's it yeah we move yeah um and and no i'm not i'm not asking for like toxic behavior from fans um that we see in south america europe and and even mexico or violent fans what i'm asking for is just accountability and, and mentality like we were talking about we want us to finish first in world cup qualifying not third yeah. that yes. is what we're, that's the mentality we would like to see but u.s soccer is not there yet no it's really not. And a lot of MLS teams are not there yet. But credit to Brian Schmetzer and the Sounders for not only, you know, playing so well, but going in with the right mentality. I thought tactically they were very well set up. I thought they took advantage of opportunities when they came. And they've put together a really strong roster combined with good players, some young homegrowns. Schmetzer knows how to get the best out of players. Have you noticed that? Everybody, not everybody, but the majority of the players who go play for Seattle play at a very high level. 
right? They play above the level that we've seen them before. This is true of like Christian Roldan, for example. This is true of Freddie Montero. This is true of Rui Diaz. Even Jordan Morris plays very differently for the Sounders than he does for the national team. So credit to them. But this has gone on for an hour and 20 minutes. So we should probably wrap it up, guys. Thanks so much for listening. I know it's an extra long one. Sometimes we'll go over because this is just a conversation. We're not a network. We don't have to stick to a specific time frame. You can turn it off whenever you want if you think we're droning on. That's fine. But give us a good rating and review on Spotify and on Apple, Apple Podcasts. We are trying as well to get onto Google Podcasts. That'll be the next one. We're on Stitcher if anybody's wondering if you want to check that out as well. Um, but thanks again, guys, for listening. Thank you for all the wonderful feedback we've gotten from everybody. And we hope that it's both entertaining and more importantly, informative, you know, and that this provides more content for the U.S. soccer community. All right. Off Lipo, I'll see you next time.